This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I'm so thankful that you are joining us for episode two of the podcast. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. We are so excited to join the other shows in the network. Currently, we have All Have Another with Lindsay Hine, the Up and Running podcast with Lauren and Abby, and the Illuminate podcast. So today you're listening to episode two, and my guest is Katie Crenshaw. Katie is a mother of three. She's a storyteller, she's an activist, and she is a maternal mental health advocate and speaker. She talks a lot about body neutrality and body image on her blog and on her Instagram. And in this podcast, we talk about our own body image and what that's like postpartum, as well as how to talk to our children about having a healthy body image. Katie has a lot of words of wisdom to share with us in this episode around these topics. And I was taking notes as she was talking. So it was that good. And I hope you'll do the same. You can find Katie on Instagram. She is Katie M. Crenshaw over there. And definitely check out the movement that Katie started called Her Body Can. It promotes feminism and body neutrality. And she has a book called Body Can Books. That is a best-selling children's book series that aims to encourage our girls to create a reality for themselves in which they love themselves and their bodies for exactly who and what they are. All right, friends, I hope you get as much out of this conversation with Katie as I did. And if you love this episode of the podcast, make sure you share it with your friends and help us get the word out about this brand new podcast. And if you would be so kind to leave us a rating and review wherever you are listening, that would be super helpful as well. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Katie Crenshaw. Well, today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? Katie, did you even know that's what the podcast was called? That's amazing. I feel like I've I think that multiple times a day. <laughs> Today on Why Is Everyone Yelling, we have Katie Crenshaw on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yes, I am so excited for this conversation. You are doing so many great things um, with Her Body Can and your Instagram alone inspires me. Thank you for everything that you're putting out into the world. Oh, thank you so much. I, sometimes I feel like it's a mixed bag, but all headed to the same place. So that's the goal. I love that, though, a mixed bag, because we're not all one thing or two things even. So I love that you're putting, you know, all the different little pieces of your life out there. Thank you. So let's introduce you to the listeners. You're the mom of three. And I would just love to hear a little bit about your family and your journey to parenthood. Yeah. So I have three kids, 11, five, and three. My oldest turned 11 today. So I'm in my feelings about how old I feel. Um, oh, totally. <laughs> he's, he's like, 
yeah, he's like, I feel like most of my kids have, or most of my friends have younger kids. So I'm like, who can talk to me about puberty mood swings? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, so that, so we're 11, five and three, we're in all different stages. And um, Grayson, my oldest actually is from a previous marriage. So I was actually a single mom for a couple of years. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then I had two more um, in starting in 2015. So we live in Metro Atlanta. Um, and yeah, it's, it's always crazy, especially this year. Oh, totally. I, I resonate a lot with what you said about having like the two different, you're in kind of like a little bit of a bigger kid phase and a little kid phase because my oldest, he's eight, so he's younger than yours, but my youngest is two. And oftentimes I feel like I'm pulled in these two directions, like the big kid stuff and the little kid stuff. And I have mom friends that are, Mm -hmm. that have kids the same age as my big kids, but not my little kids and vice versa, like little kid parents, but not big kid parents. And it's hard to kind of find someone that that is both. Oh yeah. And it's always a battle. Like when we go to do things outside the house, because it's either good for the little kids and he's bored or it's good for him and not appropriate for little kids. So it's like, there's never anything we can all do and all have fun. Oh, totally. Totally get that. Sometimes I'm like on the floor with my little guys and I'm like, how am I still in the phase where I'm crawling on the floor with kids when I have, you know, my oldest is only eight, but still like, yeah. I feel like I've moved on to the, we're going to sporting events and things like that. And I'm here. I yeah. am on the floor with a toddler at the same time. It's so weird. I'm, they don't, people don't talk enough about that. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I want to start this conversation talking about one of your recent blog posts where you wrote about basically life during the pandemic and how things kind of unraveled and you realized so much of your happiness was tied into your productivity. I, I feel that on every level when I started, um, when, when we started being home a lot, I started over recording podcast episodes because I felt the need to just do, 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 because I was like not finding any value in what I was doing. So can you just share with us a little bit about your heart behind that post? Yeah, I think as someone with, I mean, I don't think every personality type is like this, but mine is for sure. Like I am an Enneagram 7, like Gemini, like I'm always like wanting to socialize and I'm an extrovert and like I always have a million things on my list. And so it's, it's impossible to not attach that to my worth. Um, so when the world shut down and we didn't really have a choice, it was really challenging for me to be like, okay, now you're just here with yourself. Like what, um, you know, what, where's your real worth? Because you're not, you know, productivity is not it. Um, so, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk about that. Like I talk about a lot of things. It's, it's, um, trying to find your true inner worth is like a lifelong journey. So (laughs) And things like that really exacerbate that process. Yeah. And it's hard as a parent, too, because sometimes like so much of my worth is tied up in what I'm doing as a mom. But then I value my work and what I'm doing on these podcasts so much. And then sometimes there's this guilt that I'm, you know, too obsessed with the podcast stuff when I should be focusing my energy on the kids. So that was an extra added in challenge during like quarantine time because everybody's under the same roof and you still want to pursue those dreams, but they kind of had to take a back seat. Yeah. I feel like 
it all went back to the original reason I started my platforms, which was um, I've always been, I've always been the mom that felt like I'm not like other moms because I don't find my full identity in motherhood. And um, I felt like a lot of moms were ashamed to say that out loud. So I, that's like why I started my blog because I wanted to say it out loud um, and see if there was anybody else that could be like, oh my gosh, me too. So yeah, it was a really great example of like, I mean, just to be honest, it was like, I don't have anything really amazing to say about quarantine. It was terrible. And I was like super depressed <laughs> and like, because I, I don't find a hundred percent of my identity in motherhood and I was forced to do it for however many months. Um, and that's not, you know, that doesn't fulfill me on its own. So, um, so I think that's a real thing and it doesn't have to have like a pretty wrapped up bow. Um, it just sucks when, you know, you're forced into a life that you didn't plan on for everybody. You know what I oftentimes wonder? I oftentimes wonder what this generation, like you and I, of moms who were kind of staying at home moms, and then we kind of created this own job for ourselves. Like, what I'm like, what would I have been like 20 years ago as a mom or 30 years ago as a mom when we didn't have these outlets to pursue so? easily you know like if you have a dream and something you want to put out into the world in 2020 you go do that you know but in 1990 or 1995 our parents didn't have that outlet I wonder that all the time um and I think I look at it in a positive way I think it's like really important I think our generation is much more self-aware I think um we are much more proactive with our mental health and our self-care and I think we are raising kids to, um, to also want to live their own dream. And um, I recently read Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which is so good. And she writes about how being a martyr is not being a mother, that we're supposed to be modeling independence, you know, so that they will then be that way. And I, I did not grow up that way. My mom was a stay at home mom. I never had a babysitter my whole life. Like, she was very self sacrificial. And I would say it was damaging for me to like, you know, it's still hard to like get out from under that patriarchal idea. Um, even, you know, just shaming myself. So yeah, I think I feel good about it. I think that our kids will have um, a lot better tools going forward. Oh, for sure. Okay, so let's talk about Her Body Can and your message with body positivity. What is body neutrality? And how did you personally become so passionate about this that you wanted to speak on it? Um, after I had my last child, so 2017, I guess, um, I, it just started to kind of be more of a reality for me. Like, I'm done having kids. Um, I think in between kids, when you're not sure if you're done yet, it's maybe less of the forefront because you know your body's going to change more back mm-hmm. and forth. So I think after the third, I was like, okay, well this is your body now. (laughs) Like, okay, so what do we do? And, you know, we go through the battle. We all do this of like, all right, do I go on some drastic diet? Um, and I did do that first. Um, you know, like, well, this is my permanent body. So like, let me lose as much weight as I can. And I did that. Um, and it didn't, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's a, it's a, age old story of like, it didn't do what I wanted it to do for me mentally. And, um, and then I was just worried all the time that it was going to come back. And, um, so yeah, so I sort of, I started to like arrive at a place of, I need to explore other 
things that give bring me worth and like detach from the body thing. And it was another, it was a time on social media when it was starting to trend a little bit, like more body positive influencers were popping up. And um, I was finding some really good influence for that online, which was really important to me. And I always recommend that, like follow people who are anti-diet culture, um, unfollow anybody who is, but uh, yeah, so I started to kind of learn from these other women in this space. And I think Meg Boggs, I don't know if you follow her, but she's a big um, body positive. She's like a power lifter. She's got an amazing account, but she invited me into a loop uh, with some other influencers to say like, this is my postpartum body. And, you know, th- it is what it is and send a positive message. And so I think that was my first major post like in a bra and underwear and was like this is what my stomach looks like like this is what it is and it just got such a huge response um such a huge response that I was like okay this is what women are craving like women really need us to talk about this stuff so I just kind of kept it going from there and um it became a you know like a cornerstone of my content because it always garnered so much engagement like the women are like yes this is what we want to talk about like we can skip the other stuff um and yeah it's just kind of grown from there so in 2018 I guess um I was like well I'm gonna start a hashtag her body can and encourage women to talk about what their bodies can do and not you know let's take the attention off of what we look like and let's talk about like everything our bodies have done for us um so I started that uh which was which is the basically the premise of body neutrality that um, we don't have to love our bodies every day. We just have to show up and be grateful for what they're, you know, what our body um, is doing by simply existing and letting us live this life. So, so yeah. I, I love hearing that because I think in the message of body positivity, um, there is a lot of that. Like, of course, you want to love your body and, and I do love my body. At the same time, there are days when I look in the mirror and I see my little pooch sticking out and I'm like, man, I look 20 weeks pregnant, you know, and I don't like that. I don't like how that feels. And then there are days where I feel totally confident in it. And much of that has to do with where I am in my cycle, right? Like as far as my feet, my period, we're in all of us. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When is the period coming? Because that has a lot to do with it. Um, but I do think there's this like healthy balance of being able to say, I'm uncomfortable today and acknowledging that, right? Yeah, I think the the work is in showing up and um, we're, there's none of us. Every single major body positive influencer I know has bad days. Every single one of us grew up in the same world. So so like we we have all been exposed to diet culture. We've all been exposed to misleading advertising like this is something that we are all going to have to unpack for the rest of our lives we're not arriving anywhere this is not there's there's not like an end goal where you love your body um you just have to commit to showing up and commit to keep doing the work and there are small steps you know you can take here and there but it becomes almost like muscle memory um you know, the more you show up, the more you do it and realize the world's not going to end and people aren't going to laugh at you or like whatever. The more you do it, the more it just becomes second nature. And it's not that it's not that you get to a place where you love your body every day. You just start living regardless. And 
that is what the important message is. That is body neutrality. It's so, so good. Um, let's talk about talking to our kids about body image and, um, you know, I have all boys, um, but I still very much want to make this a priority that I don't just skim over the surface just because they're boys. You know, I know that, uh, for little girls, it's, definitely a much bigger issue for the most part. And and I'm speaking in generalities. Um, but I want to make sure I'm doing this right. And, you know, with my oldest being eight, I feel like, you know, bodies are changing soon, like boys or girls. So I feel like I want to make sure that I am doing this well. So your oldest is 11. So you have boy, is it boy, girl, girl, or boy, girl, boy, boy, girl, boy, 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 girl, Two boys. boy. Okay. So you're going to be doing this for both, but talk to me just like, what are your first fresh thoughts about this topic in general? Well, as you've probably learned already with an eight-year-old, there's a lot we cannot control. Um, As much as I run a house that is very, you know, we love everybody. We, you know, my house is over the top. Their mom is an activist. Like, um, they still come home with stuff from school. So like <laughs> you can do as much as you want at home and you still have to, you know, you still have to battle the things that their friends are telling them because they have other parents that don't, that are fat phobic or that are racist or whatever, you know, like we still have to do that. So first of all, keep in mind that like, it's not like you can set the foundation, but they're still going to be in the world. They're still going to be exposed to the world. So I have always really been an advocate for just modeling the right behavior. Because when I think of my childhood, I don't really remember what my parents told me to do. I remember what I heard them say about themselves. So I remember conversations at the dinner table with my grandparents about like what diets everybody was on and why this person couldn't eat this and why this person wasn't was going to pass on the bread. And like, I remember that vividly and wondering why that's bad or why calories are bad or why do we need diet things? You know, I remember that. I don't remember what they like told me. So I think it's mostly important to watch out what you're saying about yourself in front of them. If they hear you labeling foods as good and bad and um, right and wrong and all of that, they're going to hang on to that and question it. Um, So that's the first thing. Also, you know, commenting on other people's bodies, like don't say, oh my God, she shouldn't be wearing that skirt. When some lady's walking across the parking lot, like everything like that, especially for boys, because so many women have told me that, you know, a lot of this comes from wanting to be attracted to the opposite sex and feeling like, you know, nobody's going to be attracted to them if they're heavier. And so I think it's especially important for boys to appreciate all body types, um, you know, from a from an attraction standpoint, because obviously women of all sizes are beautiful. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a lot of modeling behavior. Uh, when we talk about food, I know that Grayson, my 11 year old, he had a, one of the grades, they started learning about calories and like nutrition or whatever. And of course in school, they barely teach them anything. It's just like, here's a food pyramid and like, it's whatever. So he comes home and he's like counting calories Mm. in the pantry. And I'm like, what is happening? And he's like, I can't have this. It's too many calories. And I'm like, no, we need calories. So 
So you definitely have some undoing of what they're exposed to, to, you know, and I explain like, no, we need calories. I couldn't have run a marathon without calories. Like your brain doesn't work without calories. Um, it's important that they know that food is good and that there's no moral value in food. Um, and then everything in moderation, you know, I messed up with Grayson when he was, he was my first and I was a psycho and I did not even let him have juice until he was like five. And he had no sugar. I was like crazy. And he like still hoards like treats because I didn't know better. (laughs) I restricted him so much that now he will like hide cookies in his room. And it's like, and I can see that that's a direct result of me restricting him. I didn't know better. So with my other two, like we don't do that. Everything in moderation and they don't feel like they need to hide it. Um, So, so yeah, that's, that's the big thing for me. First of all, I love that you just called it out like I messed up because I think we all need to do that, right? Like, you know, like things I was doing. Before first kids. Yeah, right? Oh, totally. I mean, I I could go on and on about the discipline thing and how I'm doing things so much differently now with kids three and four than I did with one and two. Um, especially the toddler years, I look back and I'm like, I was treating him like he was six when he was two and a half, you know, um, like as far as behavior expectations went. But, um, I love that you said that because every parent needs to like not feel guilty about those things that we look back and we think, ah, I shouldn't have done it that way because guess what? Like you did do it that way and it, you're going to do it different now. If you know, you know, you know better, you do better. Right. Um, and I love, I love what you said about teaching our boys to appreciate all body types. Like that is something that I don't think is talked about as enough. And as someone who is raising all boys, wow, that's important. It really is. I think a lot of it comes from, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, like we can work on dismantling diet culture and like not being fat phobic, but at the end of the day, it still is internally hurtful to feel like the general narrative is that, you know, women in bigger bodies are not attractive. Like at the end of the day, and not even just to the opposite sex, like I don't, I misspoke, but like attractive to anyone, you want to feel like you're attractive if you're someone who wants to be like, you know, in a partnership with somebody at some point. And so to feel like society is telling you that you're not, and you don't deserve that, um, you know, this is something that's going to take a long time to shift, but just being generally, just having bigger bodies is more visible. Like overall, I think our boys are going to have a different outlook than we did. For sure. For sure. You know what I, I've been thinking about this because my, you know, I definitely grew up with a mom who has always had body image issues. Um, I remember her always constantly exercising and, and making comments about, oh, I don't, you know, I feel fat today or whatever. And and this is no, you know, I'm not knocking my mom. I just do remember those things, though. And so I've, I've, as an adult, have made sure, like, I am not using that language in front of my kids. However, I think here's where I'm conflicted, and I wonder if you have some insight on this. Because we were talking about body neutrality, right? And being able to have those really good days where you feel good in your skin and you feel good about your body. But also having those days where you just feel like crap and acknowledging that, too. So how do we send this message to our kids that like, it's okay to feel, 
both ways, you know, we want you to feel very good about your body. And, you know, my most important message to my kids is like, move your body because it's good for you. It makes you feel better, you know, um, and eat foods yeah. that fuel your body that make you feel good. But like, how do we, cause you also don't want to have this like expectation that, Oh, yep. Of course you're going to love your body because you're going to have feelings in times in your life, especially in the teenage hormonal years where you just aren't going to feel great. Yeah. I mean, we are very open about mental health in general in my house. So like everybody's willing, I mean, everybody's perfectly like it's acceptable to have all kinds of coexisting feelings. Um, you know, my kids know that I, I don't know. I think if you always come from the mindset of like, what can we add instead of what can we take away? Like, what if we add a walk? What if we add more vegetables? What if we add more Mm. protein? Like, you know, like I feel like switching the mindset from taking things away from ourselves and our kids to what can we add? Um, Or what can we add as an activity that would bring you joy today? Like Mm. just thinking about what can we add instead of like something's, you know, I don't feel good. What should I take away? Um, I like that mindset and I try to keep that for the most part. I love that. That's wonderful because man, as an adult, when you feel like crap, what can I add? What's going to make me feel better? Well, going for a walk will probably make me feel better, right? Yeah. And, and feeling like it's your choice. I mean, obviously at our age, you and I, like we grew up, you know, not just grew up, my whole adulthood too was restricting and like um, punishing. And um, we didn't even realize we were doing it at the time, or I'm speaking for myself, I guess. But like, when I started this journey of like intuitive eating and things like that, I had to really realize that my brain and body was so used to me restricting that like I was binge eating because I wasn't stopping to be like, Hey, you can have a portion and then it's still there. Like Mm -hmm. it's not going anywhere. You can go get more. And when I started to like practice that intuitive eating thing of like, okay, like it's still there and I'm not hungry anymore, but it's there and I can have it if I want it. Like, you don't realize until you start doing that kind of work how we've trained ourselves to restrict. Like our bodies are literally like, you're going to take it away again. Like you have to eat it. Like <laughs> you're going to take it away again when we when we break off of diet culture. So um, anything to keep my kids from going through that same cycle and feeling like they have to scramble because they've been restricted um, is is the best policy. Talk to me about your, how you handle like eating dinner as far as, you know, back in the day, the whole clean your plate situation. How do you handle that? And then with incorporating dessert and things like that. So I'm obviously not an expert or a dietitian, but um, we, I just sort of let my kids eat when they want to eat. I know this is like a lot of moms are probably like gasping right now, but (laughs) when my kids are hungry, I, I let them eat. Um, I don't necessarily make them wait unless it's like 30 minutes until dinner. And I know that like, they're about to eat like, okay. But for the most part, they, kids are snackers naturally. And I feel like there's a reason they're snackers naturally. Like they want little bits of food every couple hours. And so I let them do that for the most part. Um, and we do, um, all my kids have like genetically terrible teeth. It's a whole thing. So 
I they just know like if they have sweets that they have to immediately like brush their teeth. <laughs> so um yeah, we don't really restrict, but then again, they don't it's not like they just want to sit there and eat it all day. They know it makes them feel bad if they eat too many cookies or whatever. You know, it's just kind of a natural thing. Like they want to treat, but you know, they've never like asked me to sit there and eat a bowl of candy. So um I might stop that. But <laughs> but um but yeah they're we just kind of eat we don't have a lot of structure around eating here. Yeah, I think about that sometimes when one of my kids is trying to eat and like dinner's gonna be ready sort of soon. I think about that hangry feeling I get, you know, when I'm like at a restaurant or it's taking longer, the wait's really long and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I just need food and I'm starting to get really angry and mad and I think, Okay, I don't want my child to start feeling like that for them and for me, because that's just going to flip the whole house upside down. Well, and I think really basic, like it's part of conversation, really basic nutrition facts. So like my 11 year old is, you know, prepubescent and he's like hungry all the time and he'll eat so many carbs and be like, I'm still hungry. And so I'll be like, well, then you need to eat some beef jerky or like some boiled eggs. Like you need protein. So it, I help them make snack choices based on like, you know, that's not going to fill you up. You're going to be hungry again in 20 minutes. Like just basic facts. Um, you know, if you don't eat breakfast, you're not going to be able to think as well in school. Like food matters and it's really important. So like explaining different, you know, groups of food and why they all matter is also helpful, even in those conversations about snacks. Oh my gosh, my eight-year-old ate like four bagels yesterday, like one right after the next. And that's totally why, because he wasn't getting the protein that he needed to like really feel full. And I oftentimes tell him- You're still going to be hungry. (laughs) Yeah. I oftentimes tell him, I'm like, also drink water. Like, you know, drink, if you're, drink a big glass of water, you know? (laughs) My kids and uh, like, that is my number one phrase is like, have you had enough water? Yes. Have you had enough water? Oh, you have a headache? Have you drank an, Have you drank any water today? Seriously. Okay. Tell us about your book, your Her Body Can book. Yeah. So I met another blogger at an event last year and she was, I mean, we didn't even know each other that well. She's a new mom. Um, and we just kind of got into the conversation around my platforms and body positivity. And she was new to shopping for kids books. And she was like, I just, feel like there's not a lot of body diversity with like main characters and books and um and I was like yeah and she was like we should write a book together like just for fun and I was like yeah sure so we just kind of met up a few times and like put together this book and originally we had a different idea for the book but it kind of started to become like this rhyming thing and her body can uh wound up just making sense as like these couplets which was cool because that was already my movement. So it became kind of like this child product of, of that movement. And um, it's about a little girl who's just like living her best life. And she's doing all the things in the book that someone might stereotype um, a bigger child not to be able to do, like physical activity and wearing a two-piece bathing suit and eating what she likes and, and all those kinds of things. So, um, so we finished it and released it like two weeks before quarantine, like fully kicked in. And, um, but it actually did really well. It was like number one on Amazon, like within a day or two. And, um, yeah, it's done really well. Like, um, the Kelly Clarkson show had us on there to talk about it this summer. Um, it was really just 
totally unexpected that it would blow up like that. But I mean, moms without kids were even buying it. And they were like, oh my gosh, like people have got to listen or have got to get this book. Like we all needed this as kids. And um, so, yeah, it was huge, huge response. And we are, we were so happy with it. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So did the Kelly Clarkson show like reach out to you or did your, did, did you go through a, um, like, were you published through somewhere and were they pitching people? We were self-published. Um, we have a friend who, um, is a, she writes for several magazines and she pitched a story about our book to Glamour, which is one of the magazines she works for. And they picked it up. And then when Glamour published an article about us, it kind of just went viral um, and just extended from there. And then the Kelly show reached out. That's amazing. Was it surreal to talk to Kelly Clarkson? Yes. And we were so bummed that it had to be on Zoom because of COVID. Oh. <laughs> like, we were like, this sucks. But yeah, it was cool. She's super nice. Yeah, you could have like literally been on her couch for her show and done the whole thing dang damn covid i know okay so i'm a marathon runner and that's like my jam my other podcasts that i have been hosting for four years is all about running and i saw that you ran your first marathon last year congratulations thank you first and only (laughs) now tell me I have to ask since, you know, I'm like combining my two favorite things, running and parenthood, but how did running that marathon change you and why did you decide to run a marathon? Oh gosh. Okay. So I love this story. It's like my favorite life story ever. Um, No offense to my kids, but the day I I ran the marathon was like the best day of my life. So Um, good. So it was actually like kind of everything falls under this, this umbrella you know, of my ridiculous life and whatever, but I was reached out to by a brand, which is normal based on what I do, um, for a sponsored job. And they're like, we need to get on a call. It's kind of weird. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, and this is like June. Okay. Of last year. And, um, they're like, so we have this brand. It was actually a PR firm, but they were like, we have this brand. It's an eco-friendly home brand. Um, the CEO is a runner, and they're New Yorkers, whatever. So they were, um, they found your Instagram and they thought it would be really cool if you were interested in running the New York City Marathon this year um, (laughs) and like, (laughs) or training for it and attempting it or whatever. And like, um, tell the story of like how, you know, small steps lead to big change, which is their mission for this eco-friendly, you know, product. And I was like, they're like, so I don't know if you even run. And I was like, I mean, like I've done some 5Ks like 10 years ago. Like I don't like I run for a few minutes before I work out. I don't know. No, but um, I was like, but like, yeah, I will. I, w- I would do it. So anyway, long story short, we negotiated. Um, They really did want me to do it. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, they were willing to like, you know, pay my rates and all that kind of stuff for the deliverables. And then also it was guaranteed entry to the New York City Marathon, which is like a bucket list thing for yeah, so many deal. people. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just like there are people who've been trying to get in for like 15 years because it's a lottery for the most part. So yeah, I was like, I'm going to try it. Like I might die. I might not even make it, but like I'm going to say yes. So um, it became like this mission for me to show myself and other people like what I'm capable of. And which was, it was a very like her body can moment. Like 
um, I'm going to try. And I'm, so by the time the ink was dry on the contract, I had 12 weeks um, until the marathon wow. and had not, I wasn't training. Um, <laughs> so I hired a coach. Um, I'm writing an entire book about this, by the way, I'm done with my manuscript. Um, Who did you hire? But, so eventually there'll be a, for the coach. Yeah. Um, Betsy Magato. Okay. She's here. She's run like 18 marathons. She's so great. Um, she's really, really great. I don't like everything lined up so perfectly for this. So like, I was like, I need a coach cause there's obviously no template training plans for 12 weeks. And I don't know what to do. So um, I hired her. Well, she was like, you're crazy. <laughs> um, I think most people would tell you no. <laughs> I think most people would tell you no, but I'm going to help you. And I was like, yeah, okay. So she developed like this whole training plan for me. And um, she's one of the coaches on the Charge Run app. And oh, okay. she's just so great. But um, she uh, she had me doing crazy stuff. And I was doing like double long runs on the weekend if you're curious from a running standpoint, how I did this. Um, so I was like, so at the end I was like running a full marathon over two days instead sure. of like 20 miles in one day. Um, so it was really awful. And there were times I wanted to like throw myself off the, cause I had to run on the treadmill a lot. Cause it was like a hundred degrees outside. Um, and running 10 miles on a treadmill is like not fun. Um, <laughs> and I was like, well, I could hurt. I could hurt myself. I could just fall off. And then <laughs> it wasn't my fault. And I'm injured. <laughs> And, and I kept like emailing the brand and I was like, guys, I don't like, I'm not an elite runner. So like if I get hurt and I had so many different random injuries, I could like spend 30 minutes, like on all the things that were hurting. But anyway, I, um, and then the closer I got, the more I was like, okay, now I can't get hurt. Cause like now we're so close. Like I can't get hurt. I was like in a bubble. So, um, and then of course the day of the marathon, I was like on my period, I had a migraine. It was like the worst day ever, but, um, I was like, we're here, we're going to do it. Um, I like tripped and fell and like almost to the parking lot of the ferry. Like it was so like, I was like, I am determined to hurt myself like before I get here. So that I don't anyway. even have to start. <laughs> right. Right. And I started and I, you know, I have a video on YouTube of kind of that whole experience, but it was, uh, it took me a really long time. I was definitely with the like human spirit crowd. I was not, obviously I'm not an elite runner. Um, so I was, it was dark. It took me seven hours. Um, and I was dying. Like <laughs> I literally <laughs> was like, I am dying. Um, but I have never in my life, like that was the best day ever. Um, it was the hardest mental and physical challenge of all time. I would rather recover from three more C-sections, <laughs> but, uh, but I did it. I finished. And, um, I guess one of my followers, uh, like some worked for the people who do the sign at the end, the like digital sign. And they surprised me and put like her body can at the oh, finish line. That's so cool. Um, I know. And I was like, oh, anyway, so it was really cool. I, um, that's my favorite story. So. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Well, props to that brand for pushing you to do something you weren't going to just go and do. No, everything aligned so perfectly and um, actually got nominated for an award in our blogging community um, for like best sponsored content for that whole project. Oh, Cause cool. it was just so everybody was so glued to if I was going to die or not, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> that is so awesome. So what do you think running that marathon like did for you long term? So many things, but um, it reminded me that we can always do more than what we think we can do. Um, it, I likened it to like transition in labor when a woman is like so close and, you know, everything's saying she can't do it and she can't finish, but, um, but you're almost, you're almost there. And, um, also from a, from a diet culture perspective, training for a marathon was very interesting to me because like life is kind of like a marathon, but we don't put the kind of care into our nutrition and hydration and sleep and stress, you, you know, as we do when we're training for a marathon. And that was crazy to me to realize like, this is probably how much I should always care about my body. Like mm. I was like, so, you know, stringent about how, when I was eating and what I was eating and making sure I was hydrated. Cause if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to train. Like it would have been, you know, made a huge difference. So, um, so yeah, I learned a lot about like why carbs are really important and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. It was a lot mentally and physically to learn. So lastly, what is our message for for moms who are postpartum? You know, I really felt what you were saying when you mentioned like the in-between phase when you're like, well, if I'm going to have another baby, I don't have to like totally get back to where I really want to be. But then once you have your last baby, you're like, okay, here I am. This is it. Um, and I think there's probably a message there about accepting where you are and and where your progress is. And that also, man, your progress is going to be different from baby to baby. I mean, each baby, I took a little bit longer. And I'm not even talking about my weight or what my body looked like. I'm just talking about it took me longer to feel myself again. So it was a big, like, awakening for me to understand that bodies are not supposed to stay the same and to try to get that out of my mind Um, the idea that like, there's this goal size or shape that we belong in, and then that's going to be permanent. Um, our bodies are supposed to ebb and flow with life, you know, for a million different reasons, like people who gained weight during COVID, like we were all traumatized and at home all the time. And like, you know, it's, it's whatever. Um, but from an actionable standpoint, especially for new moms and women who are in, you know, um, their bodies are changing for hormonal reasons and baby reasons and all that. Um, don't wait on some arbitrary like size or number because life is like happening now. And Mm -hmm. if you can afford, you know, to even go to Goodwill or like go to the store and get something that fits that you like, um, you know, don't wait, don't wear leggings in pajama pants until you fit into some old jeans, like get it, whatever you like, it makes you feel good in the size you're in right now. Um, and because that really does make a huge difference when you can show yourself that you can still pretty and excited with clothes that fit instead of like punishing yourself by putting on things that don't fit anymore. Like it's a big deal to realize that you can still feel good at that size because that's when you start to realize it wasn't about the size. Um, and then also like highly, highly recommend, I feel like this is so much of the battle, um, unfollow, Everybody on social media that makes you feel less than um, anybody who's promoting diets or unhealthy, um, you know, cycles of, of those things and diversify your feed with people who, you know, are not supermodels <laughs> that don't have like 
perfect, flawless bodies. Like find people who are living their best lives um, as, you know, in whatever size and bigger sizes. And just to have that influence and reminder that there are people out there who are fine and they're doing okay and they're maybe running marathons and maybe powerlifting. And like there are people like you just have to do all this and expose yourself enough to enough of it to where you can start to battle your own fat phobia that's like internalized that, you know, body size doesn't equal beauty, body size doesn't equal health, like all those things. Wow. What do you want your kids to remember about mom when they're, you know, 25 and they think about what you taught them in this specific topic? Um, I want them to, to know that I showed up to life. Um, and it never had anything to do with what I looked like. Um, so on this topic, um, I just really hope that they are someday encouraged to show up to life, um, regardless of what their body looks like. And, and for the boys that, um, you know, women can be in a bigger body and still be really cool and interesting and, um, fun and, and all those things. So, so good. That's so good. Uh, Katie, what, what is something you want to do? Like what is something personally or professionally that you haven't been able to do yet that you want to do? Well, I definitely want to publish this, this memoir. I'm calling it a memoir because it's a lot of life stories, but it's like maybe personal development ish. Um, I want to publish that book. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that's happening yet, but it's going to happen. Um, and, and I just hope I would like to keep speaking. Um, I, um, I love talking to women and like saying all these things to people in real life. So, so I hope to kind of go that direction too. So are you seeking a publisher and do you just like, I'm curious, so curious how the book writing process goes for different people. Like, do you just find little moments where you're like, have a thought and you get in there and you, you write a chapter or what does that look like? Um, some people might do that. I had trouble doing it that way. So literally when quarantine started, I wrote the whole book (laughs) and like, like I literally just sat here in this chair and wrote the whole book over the course of like three months. Um, so I was more of like, I have to sit down for hours at a time and like really take chunks out of it. And also for me, it was, I was talking a lot about my life story, which is like traumatic. So it was like not easy to just sit down and like write. Um, so yeah, but I'm glad it's done. Um, I, I don't know exactly. There are multiple like publishing routes you can take and I'm not exactly sure which one I'm doing yet, but, but yeah. What's the best, most recent book you've read? I just started Atomic Habits. Um, so I, I just started it, but I would say like hands down the best book of 2020 is Untamed. Mm. I've read it like three times. Mm -hmm. It's really good. I listened to it on audio. I'm actually it's reading so Atomic Habits right now, too. Are you really? Yeah. That's so funny. I always read a couple yes. books at once, and that's my, like, do good oh, life what? book, right? That's all my books. I just finished Essentialism, though, and I'm, like, and I'm about uh, maybe a third of the way through Atomic Habits, and I'm, like, I mean, it's not the same book, but a lot of, like, similarities, and I'm, like, maybe after this one, you can walk away from the, like, self-helpy, like, this is how you should organize your life books for a little bit. You've read a lot of them now, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. 
Uh, do you have a kid's book? Obviously, we are recommending your Her Body Can book, but do you have any kid's books that one of your kids has especially loved? Well, we love the rainbow fish around here. That's like an, a classic. Um, and then um, we love Dear Girl. Charlie loves Dear Girl. We do that one a lot, too. We have Dear Boy. It's so good. So good. Both of them are so good. Oh, I... I would say I sometimes I forget about that book and I would say that is definitely one of my favorite kid books. Dear boy. Yeah. And there's a dear girl too. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good book. All right, Katie. Well, this has just been a joy and I, there's so many things that you said that I want to carry with me in my own parenting. I mean, one of the things that sticks out to me so much is, is the, what can we add to bring you joy? I just, that is just really, really, really sitting with me. And I feel really, feel really thankful that I got that wisdom thrown at me today. So I guess we'll just end now with the last question, which is what do you want to leave our listeners with today? What message do you want to leave them with? You know, there's a lot of, there's so much noise, you know, surrounding everything uh, in the world, period but especially as it pertains to body image and diet culture. And there's a lot you can't control, but um, just remember that your work that you're doing with yourself um, trickles down to your kids. So if you make nothing else a priority, make your own personal work with yourself um, the priority because either way that will affect your kids, even if you don't know exactly what to say to them. I love it. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you. All right, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you, Katie, for coming on the show. You can learn more about Katie when you go to katiecrenshaw.com. That is her website. And again, you can find her on Instagram, Katie M. Crenshaw. We will have the links to her books, her Instagram, all of that good stuff over on our website, sandyboyproductions.com. If you would like to be on our email list so that you can be notified when new episodes come out, make sure you email us. You can email my assistant, Emma at sandyboyproductions.com, and she will get you added to that list. All right. I hope you are having a great day and I will see you next time on Why Is Everyone Yelling?